millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, it might be old news now, but a few weeks back, Boris Johnson gave his seminal speech at the Tory party conference in the UK. And in it, he talked, as usual, about his aim to level up the country. And if you, if you insist on the economic theory behind levelling up, it is, consta- is it contained in the inside of Wilfredo Pareto? A 19th century Italian figure uh, who floated from the cobwebbed attic of my, my, my memories. There, there are all kinds of improvements that you can make to people's lives, he said, without diminishing everyone else. Rishi will, I'm sure, uh, uh, confirm this. Uh, we call these Pareto improvements, right? And they are the means of levelling up. And the idea, in a nutshell, is that you will find talent, genius, flair, imagination, enthusiasm everywhere in this country, all of them evenly distributed, evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. And it is our mission as as Conservatives to promote opportunity with every tool we have. So who was Pareto and what are the Pareto improvements that he talks about? And can you really improve the lot of large swathes of the country without impacting others? That's what he aims to do. But is it actually achievable or will always someone lose out? We'll look at all of that today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. And I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. So Boris Johnson has talked relentlessly in the UK about levelling up so that everyone has equal opportunity and nobody goes without that opportunity. And he's uh, going to put that in place uh, right across the country. He started by actually making sure that everybody pays the same amount of increases in tax, irrespective of how much they earn. Everyone's going to get a one and a quarter percent increase uh, on their national insurance contributions. So I'm not sure if that's levelling up or not. And not a good start, I would have thought. But look, he's quoting there the work of the Italian 19th century economist, Wilfred Do Pareto, saying he argued that there are all kinds of improvements you can make to people's lives without diminishing anyone else. But I wonder whether that actually, so basically he's saying the rich can get richer without the poor getting poorer and the poor can get richer without impacting the rich. But I wonder whether he's got the wrong end of the stick here because uh, the Pareto principle is the original 80-20 rule. That's what Pareto is known for, coming up with the 80-20 rule. Basically, take almost anything and 20% of people will account for 80% of it. Pareto's original observation of of this was that in Italy at the time, 80% of land was owned by 20% of the population. Now, you can't fix that up with levelling up, can you? Because you can't give land to the 20% without the 80% losing out. So Pareto is arguing the exact opposite of Boris, what Boris Johnson thinks he is arguing. So I wonder whether either Pareto was confused or Boris has got the wrong end of the stick. Either way, uh, it's not a straightforward scenario, is it, Steve Keane? Yeah, I mean, this is, Pareto is a, a classic case of that. Because this, I mean, Pareto optimalities. It, I mean, I've got to think. Was it Goebbels who said, "When I hear the word culture, I reach for my revolver." Uh, when I hear the word Pareto optimal, I reach for mine. Uh, but the funny thing is, Pareto was an engineer, not an economist initially. And with an engineer's training, he did observation, which is a radical thing that, of course, economists are far too smart to do. They're much better <laughs> to sit in an armchair and theorize. 
Um, but Pareto observed that 80-20 rule, and that became, uh, uh, it's called Pareto's law. It's also called a ZIF law, Z-I-P-F, I think it is, ZIF law, and it's called a power law. And that is that when you look at a distribution of something, the 80-20 rule is a nice way of summarising it. 20% have got 80%. That means 80% have 20%. What you get is if you if you plot that on a, on a, uh, a normal graph, you get this very, very uh, curvy, like if you start from uh, the people, the poorest at, at one extreme, let's say you have the poorest at the, um, um, the beginning, it's a, the, your X, where your X and Y lines intersect, you've got the poorest. And then you uh, simply plot linearly uh, from the 0% of the population to 100, and then vertically 0 to 100 or whatever you're talking about, you're going to a curve which is really flat and then accelerates rapidly up to the top. But if you then plot that line using logs, so you rather than going 1, going 0, 10, 20, 30 out to 100, you go uh, effectively uh, 0. 0.0001, uh, 1, 10, 100, and likely on the, on the vertical axis sort of you know, one ten, one hundred. So it becomes divisions. a straight line. You know, it becomes a straight line. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and that's that's called Pareto's law, and that yeah. is a remarkably important and and deep uh, insight into the nature of, of of not just human systems but natural systems. We find this law applying everywhere, uh, and like Blair Fix, I think would be the if he, if he was one of one of our patrons. Yeah. one of his yeah. supporters. Yeah. he's probably the one of the world's leading experts on that now. So well, and we spoke to him about, up. which is arguing exactly against what Boris Johnson is saying. I mean, because yeah. uh, Blair's point was that it's, you know, that it, the, the, the power is established, isn't it? You know, there's a hierarchy. Hmm. Uh, we, we're stuck with it and uh, you, you can't fight against it because it's, it's almost law. Yeah, but that, that, that's that's the empirical observation that Pareto made, and you know, you mm. know hats, hat off, et cetera, et cetera. But he also came up with this idea of a de- definition of an optimal outcome, outcome which one yeah. where you can't make anybody else better off without making somebody else worse off, and that's called Pareto optimal. Now you could have that situation, you know, where uh, one person in a country uh, is you know uh, being has every everything, and somebody else has nothing, and you can't improve the. If you make the person who's got nothing better off, then you make the person who's got everything worse off. So you might as well let the person who's got nothing starve to death. Uh, you know. But this it, is not it, what it, Boris Johnson was arguing. He was arguing that Pareto's optimal outcome is that one person can be better off so, so long as nobody is worse off. So in other words, you can improve someone's lot without it impacting anybody else. So was yeah, which is which is a denial of the existence of a class system, yeah. which is a classic thing for an upper class English toff to uh, to deny exists. You know, so this this is part of what one of the many things that irritates me about neoclassical economics. That on the basis of being non-ideological, they've ruled out the existence of classes, but classes exist. Mm. Now, there are people who make their income primarily from labour. There are people who make their income primarily from owning capital or owning land. Uh, there are people who make their money primarily from being bank, sorry bankers, um, and and therefore you have a class-based distribution of income, and you will have class conflict over the distribution of income. It's it's a given in a in a in a capitalist society that that will exist. But it's getting but weaker, what, isn't it? I mean, you do have if you had good education and opportunity for everybody, which I think is what uh, Boris is uh, is arguing. 
uh, I think he's just he's got his timeline wrong. If, but if you had the opportunity the same for everybody, then you could you, you could diminish that class effect, couldn't you? So you could be a, a, a working class lad who goes to a good university, gets a good education, and gets and gets a a job based on his education rather than his, his background, and that they've moved up the rung of the ladder in in one generation. That might take money. You know, I could look at my own family. You know, I'm not a painter and decorator, which is what you know, my family was two generations ago because I got a decent education so I've, I've moved up the ladder a little bit so you do, you do see it happening it, it does happen and it, you know, no argument there is you know, class mobility in capitalism but it's overblown at the extent to which it happens mm. and like you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a middle, I'm a son of a middle class my father was a bank manager uh, I'm, I'm a professor uh, but you know nobody's become fab- fabulously wealthy in my family including me um, so, you, but you do get, you know, like the Elon Musk's of the world is the ludicrous, the ludicrous example of maybe a plaid example of of, uh, of, of that uh, trans, uh, you know, going from rags to riches. And there are uh, plenty of others uh, examples as well. They do exist, but they are a minority compared to the vast majority who start in one social class and, and that's where they finish up. Uh, my my favourite, uh, you know, being not not uh, the working class but uh, the upper classes. One of my favourite cartoons of all time was in Punch. I think I've mentioned this a couple of times, but it had two very portly, obviously very uh, very wealthy men sitting in a uh, in big armchairs, and the one says to the other, "The secret of my success, Charles, is some advice my father gave me as a son. He said, son, here's a million dollars. Don't lose it.'" <laughs> Which isn't always that easy, is it? I mean, look at Donald Trump, for example. He had a, he lost it. Yeah, he got his money from Fred Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and lost more than he he made, uh, arguably during his his lifetime as well. So, yeah. uh, so, so is is Boris wrong on this? Then is he is he is he flogging a dead horse, or is it a case of we are all actually better off than we were, say, a hundred years ago? You know, we've got automation, electrification, we've got transport, we've got heating, so our standards have improved. The divide. Yeah, might have narrowed a little bit, probably not a great deal. So I wonder if Boris just aims to make people feel better off without actually doing it, which, of course, is, you know, like you know, making... Oh, you're making accusing ha- Boris of being a charlatan. And when a politician... How? Wash your those mouth words, out that, with, a politician, uh, with, those, with blonde hair rinse. <laughs> those, those, uh, those words are interchangeable, but, yeah, politician. I mean, in the, in the way that Margaret Thatcher... <laughs> hey, watch made, it, I'm about to become one. Uh, yeah, I know, yeah. Uh, the, the, well, there we are, you see. Uh, we'll see how that see how that changes you. Uh, but, um, yeah, like, like Margaret Thatcher, you know, tr- tried to make everybody feel better by making them be able, uh, supposedly be able to afford to buy houses by introducing heavy debt into their lives. So well, uh, it, it, it yeah. can all be done with smoke and mirrors. Well, then that's what it is mainly smoke and mirrors, and and the whole idea that you that you can you can do that this can be done as policy as well. I mean, international trade policy, which we were talking a bit about last week. Um, uh, one of the arguments is that you know free trade doesn't benefit everybody, but it's okay to go ahead if the winners can compensate the losers. Now, do those mechanisms exist? No. Okay. So it, it's it's a smokescreen in many ways to say we just want to deregulate everything. And when you deregulate, you're not getting rid of regulations. You're making up new ones that benefit the people who own capital. Well, why would he be um, using this as an argument for deregulation? I would. I mean, I would have thought this was. Uh, a, a, if you're saying we're going to improve the lot of people in the north of England, for example, uh, hmm. then you wouldn't be talking deregulation. Would you be talking about investing more public money into education and the like? 
you'd be talking about it. Whether you end up doing it is another story. Part mm. of my cynicism there, yeah. having spent a few years in the UK. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's normally this stuff is when you're talking Pareto optimality, you're talking a cover for leaving leaving it all up to the market. Uh, and then supposedly using taxation policy to level things out. But it, it, you know, I, was, I was gobsmacked when we talked about the English tax changes and they uniformly hit people below, what, about 40,000 quid a year? Yeah, yeah, for, for the increase that we're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that was a st- oh. definitely a step in the wrong, wrong direction. But it's not, so a, that, interestingly, it's not 80-20 on tax in the UK. So the top 1%, this is the argument that's always given, isn't it? In the UK, the top 1% pay 29% of income tax so there's, uh-huh. there's, income tax doesn't include uh, national insurance, which is what we were talking about the other week. And it obviously doesn't include uh-huh. VAT, which is 20%. Uh, but uh, when it comes to income tax, the top 1% pay 29%, but it's only 12.5% of their income. So uh, so big opportunity to level up or level down to get them to pay much more because the bottom 50% of income earners pay over a quarter of their income on tax compared to 12.5% for the, for the top 1%. So you can oh. see a huge opportunity to level out. But, of course, you know, Boris is not saying they're going to do that because they're going to well, have this. He's actually ruling it out because if he's going to uh, – the only way he could reduce the tax burden on the people below – is to increase it on those above, which is goes against great optimality. So, bang, we can't do that. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> it's very convenient, isn't it? Well, mm. maybe, maybe he's smarter than we're giving him credit for in that case. So, the, so the other side is then, okay, well, we'll we'll put money we'll put money into the north. We'll make the north more productive. The country's GDP is going to grow as a result of it. I mean, you could do that, couldn't you? Surely, if you do invest, you are going to see a better result. And the country's GDP is going to it's going to grow. So we've talked about economic complexity in the past, haven't we? Where you know if you if you try and get more businesses and more industries working together in a in a country, then you're going to improve the collective output of those of those countries. And and yeah, but this this, this we're getting miles from parade optimality here because. You know, the, 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 all, all this sort of the, anything like Pareto optimal instantly means you're talking to somebody who believes the market solves everything. Right. Okay. And then taxation is only there when there are market failures, that sort of attitude. And there's no such thing as a class uh, based distribution of income, all of which is nonsense. Okay. Uh, uh, and, and if you look at what actually causes progress over time, this is one of the, the curious uh, things about the, the nature of dynamic change in economy versus the theories that economists have, which are all static equilibrium theories. Uh, the static equilibrium stuff would argue, well, if you drop wages, there'll be more employment. This is what we've seen with the argument over the minimum wage in America recently. You know, uh, drop, If you want to improve things, let's drop the minimum wage and therefore you get more employment, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but when you look at what actually causes dynamic process of growth in incomes over time, a large part of it actually comes out of wages being, inverted commas, too high. Uh, we go back to the Scottish, uh, the, the Industrial Revolution, which mm. began in Scotland, okay? yeah. uh, with with James Watt and the and the and the steam engine, and then the whole you know, development. Yeah, so you of, get substitution. Uh, if you get if wages get too high, then you get automation. You get if you get uh, you get productivity yeah. coming from that. And then and France, uh, France, France's wage was yeah. too low. The inventions that made that increased the profits of Scottish manufacturers uh, by re- by reducing what they had to pay in wages. Mm. Uh, was, would have been unprofitable in France, but the result of them was that Scotland got more of international trade, particularly in textiles, 
uh, and consequently the wages of Scottish workers went up more than the French ones did. So right. uh, it's, it's something which, you, if you have a dynamic uh, perspective on it, then you actually want a bit of class conflict. And, the, and, and this is, again, like the, the, the mathematical model that's the basis of my work on modelling Minsky was uh, Richard Goodwin's model. And what that, that has is that workers' uh, wage demands depend upon the employment rate, what we call the Phillips curve. Um, and it, 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 what happens over time is there are cycles in the distribution of income but because um, the capitalist innovation causes technological growth, what you have is rising wheeler comes over time. If you didn't have the conflict, you wouldn't necessarily have the technological development either. So, so he is clinging on to Pareto basically by saying, "Hey, look, we're going to help you. Go, you're the little guy, but you know the uh, the people who are funding my party. Don't worry about it because Pareto was all about you know you shouldn't be hurt. We we're, hence we're going to level up. We're not going to level out. Uh, you're not going to be damaged by us trying supposedly uh, to help the little guy. Uh, and look, you know we've only got two times. We're only going to be in, term, in in office for four or eight years after after I've been sussed out. Uh, I will have moved on anyway. So let's not worry about it. it I mean, it's as cynical as that if we look at uh, some of the people who uh, embraced Pareto uh, Benito Mussolini uh, <laughs> he uh, he obviously for the same reason uh, you know like the idea that uh, it was economic efficiency to have 20% of the population controlling everything and uh, you know he, he pretty much went down that road didn't he so that's you know maybe that maybe that's the roadmap that Boris has got mapped out in front of him yeah, well, I think that often tends to be the result of it because the level of income inequality we've got now is so enormous that the whole idea that you can you know, make Pareto optimality your uh, touchstone means that you are happy with the current distribution of income. And that ain't the case. I mean, this is the... the I think in some ways bringing up this Pareto idea says, well, we're going to, we're going to take a, you know, credence of the distribution of income. We're going to make you better off without making the rich any poorer. Yeah. And yeah. could that any happen anyway where you are, you have economies that are, I mean, there is a limited resource, isn't there? I mean, you could, you could, you could argue that, well, okay, if everyone just worked that little bit harder, we might get more, more out of, uh, out of everybody collectively. But if you if you've got a limited resource like energy or power or land, then you know you're 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 going to hit a ceiling on that. And that- well, this this is and this is the issue we're in in, in today because you know, I think we're very close to uh, not just the supply chain issues we're seeing right now, but we're running out of the capacity to get energy cheaply because uh, the the real reason we've seen a growth in uh, in, in, in real living standards over time, the reason why you and I are better off dramatically so than our ancestors from 100 years ago is the dramatic increase in energy uh, that we use on a daily basis. And, uh, and, and w- whatever the relative situation might be between the very poor and the very wealthy today, uh, the, the very poor today, you know, uh, not down to the level of homeless, but certainly down to the level of those who you know, can afford to have a roof over them, whether that's a rented or rented one or purchased. Uh, the amount of energy we consume uh, compared to what people consumed a century ago, or even even like to one and a half centuries ago, a gigantic increase in the amount of energy we consume. So when we're fighting over the distribution of income, we're really fighting over the distribution of energy. Mm. And because the overall amount of energy has risen over time, then we are far better off than people one and a half centuries ago. So much so we don't even realise it. I mean, uh, the uh, Buckminster Fuller coined the term of energy slaves and said that 
every person today has about, in terms of human labor equivalent, uh, the, even the poorest people in America have the equivalent of 20 or so energy slaves who are doing all the work for them. You know, when you put petrol inside your uh, car, imagine instead if you had to have people pushing your carriage, uh, as would have happened 200 you know, years ago, yeah. um, all of us are being carried around by slaves. Back in 200 years ago, it was just the king. Don't I, look. I hope Boris Johnson isn't listening to this because he'd be thinking, "Well, there, there's an interesting solution to the energy crisis: energy slaves and and all those people unemployed <laughs> in the north of England. Beautiful solution. Uh, let's and, and I can probably tie that to the Pareto principle somehow. But um, I wonder where all of this ends up. Then I mean, because because one way would be. You know, we've talked about how governments can create money, but let's think through that. So if he was to say, well, OK, I'm going to uh, spend big, I'm going to create government money, I'm going to follow the modern monetary theory road, and I'm going to create a lot of money, which is going to create a lot of jobs in the north. So I'm going to have more nurses and more police and more public sector and more teachers. Um, I'm going to spend big. All that money then is, is spread through communities in the north. Because those people are going to spend that money, aren't they? And it's going to somehow, over time, find its way back to the rich who are owning the companies that they are spending their money in. So the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, probably isn't going to shift too much, even though you're putting public money in the bottom end. Is it a losing battle? No, it's not. That wouldn't be a losing battle because what you generate is aggregate demand and a major driver in terms of... uh, uh, technological development over time is, is sufficient aggregate demand to make it worth your while to invest in expanding capacity. Um, so you know, then that's, I think, a large reason why China has been, until just recently when their real estate bubble has started to burst, uh, very, very successful because they've been pumping that money out and boosting aggregate demand across the entire economy. Um, so if, if Boris did actually start doing that and forget about obsessing about running a government surplus, then the extra money created by the government spending in excess of its tax receipts uh, would add to aggregate demand. It would turn up in the hands of capitalists. In fact, that's one of Koleski's uh, main observations, that government, the government deficit actually in, increases corporate profits. Um, so, it, you, know, the, 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 you know, Pareto's law applies that way. Uh, and then they are more likely to invest, so you get a higher rate of economic growth coming out of it. And again, we're back into this whole issue. We've got to talk about constraints on growth and now as well. But yeah, um, that that would be something which would you know, boost the ship of state, so to speak. Right. But you I but you know, that that, that last point you made is the is the ceiling on it. Uh, it is the, now. It's a ceiling we've never had we, because you know this this works until you bump into the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And the ceiling is uh, well, actually too it's not just the ceiling, it's the floor as well. Because of your cost of, of getting energy out of the ground. This is the stuff we discussed with Simon Machow uh, a, a, a few what, what a month not or two, two back again. now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that is, as as the energy reserves uh, get harder and harder to find, then you're putting more energy in uh, to get the same amount of energy out, and therefore your floor is rising. There's, uh, and then we think we're seeing at the, the start of that uh, again. Uh, but then the climate change issue, we can't afford to dump more uh, waste into the into the atmosphere. But, uh, and, and so we're going to be forced to be confined and come down. So I think forget about Pareto um, in, in, in the sense of what uh, the future holds. It's uh, going to be much more meadows, which is limits to growth. Yeah. 
And I, I so then that becomes an argument against you know the, the situation we've just described, where you you put money in to create jobs for poorer people, so that uh, so that they increase demand, so that helps capitalists develop uh, new businesses, which helps the output for the country. We're actually not what we want. We want lower consumption, no. and we and we um, they're already consuming very little. The poor people of the country. So it's actually so it's making going to be the poor who can, the richer who consume less. Yeah, so it's the opposite of Pareto. In fact, yeah. it's an anti-Pareto that's only, policy. That's the only goable. I mean, the only way to have anything resembling a, a society in the in, in the next ten or twenty years, I think, is going to be where you do have massive redistribution from the rich to the poor. Uh, because if you're going to go through a massive adjustment where we have to reduce our aggregate consumption load on the planet and aggregate consumption of energy in particular, um, then you can't force it on the poor because the distribution of income is now so skewed, particularly in the UK, that you simply can't tell the poor to consume much less. Uh, But you you can tell the rich. Yeah, but he's not going to do that because of... Da, 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 Pareto's right. principle. Optimality, yeah, yeah. So the yeah. fact is that, you know, uh, th- there's much more potential as well for those people at the top end to pay more tax, uh, but it goes against that that philosophy uh, because we know that um, the, the top 1% only pay 12.5% of their income in income tax, whereas the bottom 50% pay more than a quarter of their income in income tax. That's, a, that, that's the way to look at it rather than saying, hey, the top 1% pay almost a third of all income tax. It's how much yeah, of your absolutely. income. Yeah, the, absolutely. The, the burden on the poor is, is a higher proportion of income than the burden on the rich, and the rich are a damn sight richer than the poor. Yeah. So it's, it's a, you know, it's a totally... The, so we could level up that, couldn't we? we could, I mean, that would yeah. be an astronomical change. If you were to level that up and say, everyone should be paying the same proportion of their income in income tax... Uh, let's call it uh, 25% because that's what the bottom income earners are paying, uh, then the top income would go from paying 12.5% to paying 25%. So, in effect... The trouble is the, the, the richer you know, can hire accountants that the poor can't afford and they can they can hide their income. I think income tax is a very ineffective way to, to level that out. I, don't, I, I, you know, I talk about a transaction tax as an alternative way, but what, what happens at the moment really is that... Is, is that it's almost impossible for the poor to accumulate any funds, whereas uh, when, with, particularly when you look at government money creation causing a lot of that extra money turning up in, in bank accounts, mm. uh, the, the taxation system is taking it out of the poor accounts but leaving it in the rich. So in that sense, you've got the, the government is actually enhancing the inequality of the capitalist system, now, which course, is something Marx would not be surprised by, I might add. Yeah. Actually, I mean, Pareto is almost the opposite of Marx, isn't he, in, in some ways? You know, I, I know he was, he was quite a critic, wasn't he? Because, uh, you know, uh, the idea of a class struggle. Uh, well, perhaps he thought there wasn't any class struggle because there wasn't any need for it because it was always going to be that way, perhaps. Well, I mean, a lot of the neoclassical economics developed as an opposing uh, the the Marxist co-opting of the classical school to support overthrowing capitalism rather than, as it was used by Ricardo and Smith, to support suppressing feudalism and giving capitalism its free a, a full reign and reducing the amount of money going to the landlord class and increasing the amount going to entrepreneurs. No. So... Uh, but what that meant was they threw the whole analysis of social classes out the window, but social classes were still standing outside the window. So <laughs> we have this, you Looking know, totally, in. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah t- totally distorted, apolitical, uh, 
not, no, no, not, no, it's, it's, it's vastly political. To say there are, is no such thing as social classes is a vastly political statement in a world in which they actually exist. Yeah. But you know what? We are sounding like a couple of, uh, and I know you're not English, but a couple of English socialists, uh, you know, because it's... I was talking to one a couple of days ago. I was referring to George. <laughs> uh, but, the, but, you know, the American philosophy is very much almost along those Pareto lines, isn't it? That even the working class person uh, will be looking at the rich people as something they can aspire to whereas in Britain they don't tend to think that you know in, in the UK we just think, think the whole system is effed uh, and uh, you know the, those who've got what they can take what they can and uh, screw the rest of us the American approach is well those rich people are the people I want to be even though there's no hope in hell they're ever going to get there but it's very different philosophy over there to how it is in the UK yeah I and mean, the philosophies are out of step with the societies which is you know one reason for the schizophrenia of modern life um I'd rather say, look, you know, yes, yes, there are social classes. Yes, the mobility between them is quite limited. It does exist. But most of you are going to be born in a social class. That's the one you're going to die in. Um, and what we want, want to have is uh, we want to have a society continuing indefinitely into the future. And that means we have to act because we are now no longer in a cowboy economy, as William Bormall put it beautifully, uh, but we're now in, in a spaceship economy where we have to conserve uh, the resources. And the most important thing is no longer income, it's sustenance of life on the planet. Uh, we have to make sacrifices, and those sacrifices have to be disproportionately borne by the wealthy rather than the poor. So one final point. I know, I mean, Boris strikes me as, you know, intrinsically quite a lazy person. And I'm sure he looks at the Pareto principle as well and says, well, you know, 20% of the effort gets 80% of the results. So I just need to focus on, whereas, you know, when you're governing, which would be a fine philosophy if you're running a company, isn't it? You know, if you're putting out a product and you go, okay, I'm just going to focus on the 20% of products that are creating 80% of the revenue and get rid of the rest. That That, that is a very sensible way to run a company, but not a very sensible way to run a country, because then you start going, I'm just going to focus on the 20% of the population that gives us 80% of the results and forget about the rest, as though they're products. And I just, I fear that, uh, you know, even though he's talking about levelling up, he's also talking about Pareto principle as an argument for him just to do 20% of the work and not worry about the entire population. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, there, there is a, an enormous dilemma there, because is the question, does, does, does society serve the economy or vice versa? And... The way we have it these mm. days, the economy is the master, the society is the servant. But that, if that, that means that a large part of the population loses out, then your society can break down. And we've seen this with you know, collapse of other uh, societies in the past. You know, my favourite example is the um, the Mexican civilization based on Teotihuacan, um, which we, we now the, the more archaeologists look at it, the more its collapse appeared to be a collapse of productive capacity leading to the proletariat effectively uh, killing the ruling class. Uh, and, you know, and then the society dissipating and you've now got these vast, vast uh, monuments and, and, and the civilization is long gone. Uh, we can't afford that on a planetary scale. So we have to do something which means that the people who've accumulated the most now are the ones who paid the most or have the consumption reduced the most as we try to re restrict ourselves back within planetary boundaries, which we've well and truly exceeded. So, you know, there ain't much to learn from Pareto in a world like this. Right. Even though the UK Prime Minister is in love with the guy, him and... I know what uh, you mean, even though especially because is a better way of putting it. <laughs> 
That's right, uh, because uh, he's taking his lead from Mussolini, uh, which is, uh, you know, we've all suspected for some time. Uh, good to talk, Steve. Catch you again next time. Okay, mate. Yep. And uh, that's it for this week. Not sure what we're going to talk about next week. We are always open to ideas. If there's something you want us to discuss, then please do let us know. Right, for now, though, I'm Phil Dobby. He's Steve Keen. Back again next week. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.